What up, people? Welcome to the podcast. My name is Max McCoy, and I'm extra excited because, as you've probably noticed, the podcast name changed, the cover art changed, there's some changes, so don't freak out. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, check out the podcast right before this one where I explain the name change. Uh, the podcast is now looking up, no longer Mind Body Hoops. I do a quick dive into why that happened, what this change is all about, and what to expect from here on out. Um, but long story short, you guys know me. You know the vibe of the podcast, and that's not going to change. This brand change was just something uh, I felt like I needed to do. Given, welcome to Looking Up. I'm so stoked for this episode. Elliot Rowe is a high-performance mindset coach, and we cannot be kicking off Looking Up with a better guest. Truly, this was a fascinating episode. Elliot and I do a dive into the unconscious, and if you're not familiar with the unconscious, man, you're in for a treat because I have really been starting to respect the unconscious and how it has an effect on my life uh, in terms of like blocks coming in my way or, or when I'm repeating the same patterns in my life. Oftentimes, it's because of an unconscious hold I have, uh, and me and Elliot dive into that. We talk about the unconscious, what it is, and how it can relate to us overcoming things like fear. Uh, procrastination and how learning to work with the unconscious can allow us to live in a beautiful state. Um, Again, our guest is amazing, man. Elliot Rowe is a mindset optimization coach for some of the world's best and high-performing poker players, Olympic medalists, UFC champions. He works with Hollywood actors, business execs. He works with uh, Wall Street traders. He basically leverages the power of hypnotherapy in the subconscious mind And again, we'll talk about specifically what this stuff is if you're not familiar. Um, In order to eliminate fears, break through mental roadblocks, and allow us to operate in a state of flow every day. This podcast is one of my favorites, uh, and I know I say that every time, but that's just a testament to the trajectory of the guests that we're having on, and I'm really excited about this one. I think you guys will love it too. I cannot be more stoked to be kicking off this next chapter of the podcast. I just want to, again, thank everybody for listening. Um, The people who have been rocking with me from the start, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate everybody who's just finding me now and just becoming a new listener. I appreciate you just as much. Um, Thank you to everybody who leaves reviews on Apple iTunes. That's like the currency of podcasting, and that allows me to continue to get, um, you know, new and these quote-unquote big guests. And to the people who take screenshots and post them on Instagram, and tag me um, when you guys post about the takeaways on Instagram. That stuff's amazing. Not only does that help the podcast authentically and organically grow its reach, it also just allows me to say what up to you guys, say thank you, and actually connect with you guys one-on-one. So that's been a blessing. And let's get into it. I'm excited. We're, uh, we're in a new chapter, looking up. I'm really excited to continue to uh, hold these untraditional conversations that basically prioritize our mental and biological health while supporting us in our attempt to break away from whatever the norm might be that's not supporting us so that we can live the life we truly want. That's really what this podcast is about. Whether you want to be the best athlete in the world or whether you want to be uh, you know, a really high-end professional, whether you want to be the best artist or whether you just want to be happier, my goal is that in trying to be my best, in trying to learn how to be my best, this podcast allows you to be at your best. Best meaning the happiest, fullest expression of you. So I'll stop rambling. Guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited, if you can't tell. Welcome to Looking Up. Let's get into it. My new conversation with mindset performance specialist, Elliot Rowe. So I help people who are high performers become the best in the world at what they do. That's like 
what I'm looking to do. So most people I'm working with are probably top 100 in the world looking to sort of break the top 10 or they're top 10 and they're really looking for that number one spot. And that's in different sports, different activities, businesses, Wall Street traders. Um, It's this sort of very highly competitive, already very competent person who just knows that there's something that if they fine tune this thing, it can take them to the the absolute top of their industry. And that's the part that I play is helping them work out what it is they need to be fine tuning and using the methods that I use to to help them do that. Yeah. So you're not only a mental performance coach, but you're a hypnotherapist, which is a messy word. And I've talked to people. I've started to dive into hypnotherapy and what it is and it's really fascinating field and how beneficial it can be seemingly. But then I try to talk to like a, you know, a friend that's maybe never heard of that and they just put up guardrails like, whoa, hypnotherapy, are you, you swinging a thing in front of my face? Are you putting me to sleep? Are you basically, you know, like the movies call it hypnotizing. So I want to ask you about what uh, you do on the hypnotherapy side of things, but before maybe you explain that, could you maybe like straight out the gate debunk this and tell me what hypnotherapy is not? Just so okay, so, <laughs> because yeah, I have a, trouble like there's, there's a dramatic that. a dramatic difference between stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy as a therapeutic medium. So um, let's say stage hypnosis, what you'll see is typically a large crowd of people, a hypnotist on the stage doing a form of hypnosis, but also an awful lot of you know, social pressure and other techniques that are going on. Mm-hmm. Um, that will work on a very small percentage of that audience. But if the audience is large enough, you can get a good show out of it. So it's something that the vast majority of people, they won't end up taking part in one of those shows. And they'll probably think they can't be hypnotized because they wouldn't be able to be hypnotized for a for hypnosis show. Um, I mean, to put anyone's mind at ease, like I've had stage hypnotists try and do that work with me and it just doesn't work on me. It's not something that works with everyone. It's yeah. a small percentage that it does work on. And even then, there's a large factor of social pressure that's coming into also sort of semi-hypnosis, semi-social pressure, and it creates a good show and it's fun to watch. Um, The work that I do is a therapy-based work, which is much closer to guided meditation. So if you think of the beginning of guided meditation or like Headspace or any of those apps, Mm -hmm. um, you're looking to get very relaxed, you're looking to feel into your body, and you reach a stage where it starts to open up the subconscious mind. Now, what that allows us to do is with meditation, you would be looking to clear your mind as thoughts come up. But with hypnotherapy, we're looking to use that state and the sort of the the more open subconscious to really focus in on a specific emotion or a specific area and get an understanding of the programming that's being created behind that in your life. So if you have a specific fear, if you have a specific self-sabotage, if you don't think you're good enough, if on game day you can't make it happen, but you can make it happen in the gym every single training session, we're looking at what's going on that's causing that issue. And typically it will bring up memories that we then look to resolve those memories so that there's a more rational program running so the individual can perform better. Mm. And what is it about like that guided meditation to get you into that state that kind of allows for a more seamless, uh, I want to say, growth from that? Like if you're trying to work through, say, pre-performance nerves or the fact that someone self-sabotages themselves, some, every time something good happens in their life, they, they find a way to you know revert back to self-sabotage. Why is it that like you begin with that guided meditation, super relaxed state? 
Um, well, effectively, it's because if you think about if you're trying to talk through these issues, mm -hmm. you're trying to fix them in the conscious mind. Mm. So you're consciously trying to talk through them. Um, you know, we've all had situations where it's very clear what we should be doing, but we just can't bring ourselves to do it. Whether it's breaking up with a partner or putting in the work for an exam or sticking to the diet or whatever it might be. Yeah. And the reason it's really hard is because it's the subconscious program behind that's actually driving that behavior. Mm. Now, getting into the state where the subconscious becomes dominant means that we're actually working on the subconscious mind rather than the conscious. And that's where we change the background programming. So one way of sort of imagining it is instead of fixing it just in Windows on a computer, you're going into the programming system that's running Windows. And that's the way I would view the difference between consciously working on your issues and the deeper subconscious level, which is where I believe the major change happens. And it seems like uh, the subconscious takes up most of our actions. Is that right? Like we're, you know, on a day to day basis, the mo most things that I'm doing, at least, you know, from eating to what I'm, you know, looking like and walking about, like everything I'm doing, I'm not really thinking about consciously. So, uh, yep. to, so to, yeah, go ahead. So, so the subconscious dominates what we're doing with our lives. Yeah. Um, so most of the time we're running an automatic program and then every now and again we're making adjustments or changes with our conscious mind. Um, a good way of describing this that I think most people listening will have felt at one time or another, um, when you're driving a car and you're completely in your own head thinking about something else, you'll still be able to drive the car, you'll be indicating, you'll be stopping if there's traffic stopped ahead of you. But you're actually not focusing on driving the car at all. You're mm. thinking about whatever it is you're thinking about. Mm. So your subconscious is keeping you completely safe and doing everything it needs to do. And you're just sort of along for the ride. And most of the time, we're just along for the ride. And that programming is running the the majority of our day-to-day -day tasks and our day-to-day -day behaviors. And it's changing those habits and those subconscious programs that allows to see the big impacts and the big changes in yeah. performance and, and, and such. Yeah. I, I love this in a performance sense, but I also just love it in a professional, like personal sense. And um, one question I had was your story was cool because you got into this, not so uh, I know like you didn't plan to go down this field. You had a, I love your story. You had a fear of flying. <clears throat> you wanted to find a way to, you know, get over your fear of flying, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and then you went and saw a hypnotherapist and the results <clears throat> were just incredible. Like you uh, had a very, it sounds like, very, very extreme fear of flying where it would even hinder your ability to, ability to enjoy vacations and all that and you would you know, fear getting back on the flight and you saw a hypnotherapist and they kind of got to your, your root subconscious story that you were told at a young age as to like how dangerous it was to fly and so you kind of held on to this subconscious belief that airplanes equal danger um, but how quickly you were able to uh, with hypnotherapy get to that subconscious belief by getting maybe in a super meditative state and it sounds like the results that you felt were super fast um, and is that super common like is it common to you know we go deep into the subconscious find the uh, find the block if you will and and remove it and then all of a sudden everything's working out great is, or is that were you just like a, an anomaly or take that question however you will I know it's loaded but <laughs> um. 
Yeah, so so effectively what what I've noticed over the years of working with people is the bigger the fear, the easier it is to find the root cause. Whoa. So if someone really believes something is life and death, and it doesn't matter what it is, there are people who are that scared of spiders, there are people who are that scared of water, of sharks, of yeah, yeah. whatever whatever it is. If they have a very extreme reaction in the way that I did, that like you said, I would cancel holidays, I would ruin vacations, those sorts of things, my subconscious truly believed I was risking my life every time I got on a plane. Yeah. Um, if that's the case, when we go into that state, your subconscious knows why it thinks that. Mm. So it's very easy to then go back and find those root causes if it's a really big issue. So if someone's terrified of public speaking or, or whatever it might be, because otherwise you wouldn't have that level of fear if your subconscious didn't know where it was coming from. Mm. So you don't consciously know. I didn't consciously remember what had happened, but my subconscious threw it up straight away pretty much. Mm. And I found that to be the case with other people who've got these very significant fears. Um, where it, it's it's more difficult and can take more sessions is if someone's just a bit uncomfortable. So if someone's a little bit uncomfortable with flying, but they're not actually really, really scared, then it can take longer to find out where that's coming from because it's it's not quite such a clear-cut thing. Does that make sense as a, as a description as to, to how that would work? No, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's like almost these subtlety personality things that, uh, you know, the uncomfortableness that, even I, I can, I could see it be difficult also because for me, I'm, I'm trying to think like as you're speaking, what are the small things that make me uncomfortable that maybe I don't call a problem but aren't in line with who I want to be? It would maybe even be hard for me to like identify those as things I want to work on in general, let alone get to the root cause as to why they make me uncomfortable. And, and that can be a challenge. And like I said, a lot of the work I'm working with people generally, people come to me when they're already very successful and they're looking to make that final leap. Yeah. So sometimes there can be a bit more work goes into the breaking down of, okay, really what's happening here? Yeah. Where where can we maximize? What is the fine tuning that has to happen? Yeah. Um, and these memories still come up. But like I say, if it's an absolute fear of death, if there's a fear of death, if you believe that it's unbelievably, you know, it's a huge, huge issue. Um, the subconscious typically will just throw it up straight away because otherwise you wouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to dive into like the significant fears to start. I think a lot of people at least could choose maybe one thing that maybe not deathly afraid of, but if they said, what are you afraid of? They could pinpoint something. Um, and a lot of my audience, I know it's like pre-performance. People get super nervous and just like shaking in their boots and I get that question so much and I, I feel like a lot of that has to do with subconscious stuff. But then for me, even as you were talking and you said public speaking, I could feel that in my body, like my physical mm -hmm. body could feel you say that. And I, that to me means like it's a reminder to me like that's actually one of my biggest fears is public speaking. I could do a podcast all day. I could sit one on one with anybody. But when it comes to speaking in front of even just like six people, I get really, really scared. Uh, and I don't know necessarily why that is. So for these things that we know we're fearful about what can we or what can we do but also how do you help people work through that you know you talked about getting them in a deep meditative state but maybe you could elaborate a little bit more as to how we're we're getting through that um well in terms of if if these sorts of things are coming up you know with yourself or with listeners um what i recommend is sit down with a pen and paper 
and really think about what that feels like in your body. Mm. So when you think about public speaking and the thought of standing up there, yeah. is it a tension in your chest? Is it a sickness in your stomach? Is it just a shaking feeling? Is it a headache some people get? Like, So think about the physical sensation mm -hmm. and then sit down quietly and start to write down the memories of times you felt that way in your life and the things that have triggered it. Mm. So when I was doing a talking chemistry class, when I was in a school production, whatever it might be that that brought you those sorts of feelings, and then look back and see if there's anything obvious that starts to come up, which could have created that fear. Mm. And oftentimes, hey, I was talking in front of the class and everyone laughed at me. That's a classic one. Or the teacher said I was stupid or, you know, whatever it is. Like, usually there's something that comes up along those lines. Yeah. Um, and then what you look to do is to reframe it. So to look at it, what it really was. So let's say your issue is, you know, I fell over on stage and everyone laughed and I was seven years old. Mm. Instead of seeing that as terribly humiliating and a stressful situation, look at it through your adult eyes and mm. see that, yeah, you're a seven-year-old who slipped up on stage. Of course, the other kids are going to laugh. It's nothing personal. And you've taken it as a personal, like this means that you're a bad person or you're not good enough or you shouldn't be seen in public or whatever the seven-year-old you has believed and start to reframe it for what it really is that, yeah, you slipped up on stage. There's no big deal. Mm -hmm. And start to, to make those changes in the way that you view the memories and replay it as the new memory over and over again in your mind. And as you do that, it starts to release the tension and pressure from it. And does that make sense as no, a process? No, absolutely. It, and yeah, as a process. So you're kind of – I like that you kept hinting on uh, see it in your adult eyes because I'm sure – and then as as I've dove into this a little bit, like we we have things happen to us at younger ages where we feel the emotion so strongly and it's like we cling to that and, and we almost view the memory still within uh, maybe that childlike eyes or, or at least a youthful like innocence where – if we were to get some distance on it, it sounds like you're recommending and, and view it from the adult perspective, um, we're able to kind of, yeah, reframe the story. And then you said to kind of repetitiously tell ourselves that story. What's that kind of look like? The, the, Is the, that... new, the, the, new, the new story. So just replay it. So, mm. uh, so another one that comes up a lot that resonates with a lot of people is school bullying. Like that bullying. resonates yeah. yeah a lot of people have been bullied in school mm -hmm. and even as adults when they think about the bully or the situations they can still feel sick physically uncomfortable thinking about what happened yeah now that's because at the time to a little child being punched or teased or whatever genuinely feels life or death to them mm -hmm. so they see this as this terrifying life or death moment again if you start going back to those moments in your childhood and you face it the reality is it's one seven-year-old whacking or pushing over another seven-year-old. Hmm. It's not a life or death moment. Yeah. You definitely didn't die because if you did, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> so yeah. you know, we know that you survived it. Yeah. Um, and you can see that really seven-year-old boys aren't terrifying. Yeah. And again, you start processing this is what's the reality here? Okay, the bully was probably getting bullied by someone else or a parent having a rough life. He lashed out at me. Things are fine. I've moved on. And again, start viewing it from that side. That starts to remove the emotional load from it so that seeing that person again in real life now or thinking about that person doesn't have the emotional weight, the physical sensation. And once that physical sensation and emotional weight has gone, then 
it won't other things won't trigger you in the same way that perhaps they would have triggered you if you're still feeling on feeling into those feelings of being picked on and being bullied and such so it's about removing those triggers it's almost like these things happen to us and they get they're so so emotional and then we 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 feel the physical feelings and it's so intense that we kind of our body's like okay i remember that and now anything that resembles that experience we have the exact same response even if it's just such a smaller scale of it why is it that the the emotions play such a big part of this why is it so like it's because yeah. it's a really good survival mechanism hmm. So you've got to think, you know, for however many, depending on what you believe, but, you know, let's say half a million years we've been developing as humans and, you know, the baby seeing a tiger doesn't know that tigers are dangerous. The mum screaming, making a fuss, grabbing the baby, running away, imprints, tigers are very scary. I need to run away if I see a tiger. Mm. That's really, really useful. Um for keeping you alive but it was much more useful a hundred thousand years ago than it is now yeah Yeah, you want to remember the fact that that tiger is going to kill you like that's something you want to feel on a physical level next time i see that big thing i gotta know run run run. yeah (laughs) yeah and that's why you know this system is actually incredibly efficient at creating anxieties and fears you know public humiliation used to be a very serious thing Mm. in a society where you know there's only four girls in the village and you know it's serious if you're ostracized or you won't survive if you're kicked out of the tribe Mm. um so these things social pressure public speaking politics around different social situations um that's designed in our evolution to be something that is very scary for us because at some points it was a very serious thing these days it's not the case but we can't drop 500,000 years of evolution that quickly so we just need to find ways of working around it Mm, that makes me feel a lot better the the social ostracized part i'm like thinking yeah that's kind of how i feel i it feels so life or death these kind of things and i'm thinking of people performance wise when they have the fear of failure like with basketball or even if it's like in business with your, you don't want to let your team down. I could see that as you were saying that I'm thinking like, Hmm, like there must be something on a visceral level too. I don't want to not perform well, let my tribe down the people that I work. So like, it's almost like going to battle with your people and you don't want to let everybody down. And ironically, that fear is often what causes the bad performances. Hmm. Exactly. So, you know, there can be fear of failure systems going in and, you know, it's sort of all all of these things come in at different angles and different directions. But if you can start to understand where the fears are coming from, it's something you can start to unwind. Yeah. So let's go with the fear of failure. So pre-performance, is that a similar process as to see like, okay, uh, let's go back and, and try to see when maybe I felt these feelings more, more strongly and, and where, if there's anything significantly like the time maybe I did fail that caused this. And is it the same type of process with that? Exactly the same process that I'm using. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll have that fear of failure. Um, oftentimes it will bring up some memories of failure in childhood. More often than not, it brings up the reactions of parents or coaches after that failure. Mm-hmm. So, the dad overreacting to the missed shot or reprimanding the child for failing or the child feeling unloved because they didn't match the, you know, what their parents wanted to see or what their coach wanted to see or something along those lines. So what I, that's 
generally what I'm looking for is irrational behavior by someone in a position of power around a failure earlier on in life that then creates this sort of over-the-top response to failing in the current situation. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I want to talk about, um, you said you, you hit on it before and I, I made a note of it because it's super interesting to me, is the sabotage. So I've found this in just studying myself. Like I, I'm always asking myself, why do I do the things I do? And why do the people around me do the things they do? I'm super into that. And it does seem like as I've div- dove into a little bit more of this, we all have this equilibrium, it seems like. And it's so easy to just come back to our, our baseline of of performance of happiness of everything like our baseline level of nutrition our baseline level of how much we're exercising and how well we're doing in life and how we treat our friends and kind of just our life we have this baseline and so when things go really well i've had this myself business wise especially i'll have some great projects come up and and somehow i'll i'll, I'll bring myself back to the baseline and it and when you say the word sabotage, I never really looked at it that way, but I'm like, okay, maybe there was some, you know, underlying unconscious sabotage there where maybe I didn't think I deserved that. So what, what do you see often with sabotage? What, what really is it? And like, why does that happen? Well, let, let's take it from a money perspective. Yeah. Most people have some kind of money financial thermostat in their mind, which is the sort of amount of money they deserve or is right for them. Mm. So let's take it, doesn't matter what number, 100,000, say, in the bank. Mm-hmm. And I'll see people who have 100,000 in the bank, they get to 130 and they manage to blow the 30,000 straight away. They then go down to 80,000 and they bring themselves straight back up to 100,000 again. And it's repeating this process of staying where they feel comfortable. And oftentimes when we look at that, and it can be $10,000, $100,000, half a million, I've had people at $10 million, whatever it might be, um, we look at how their parents used to talk about rich people, how their parents talk about money, what their money their friends and family are making. And a lot of time people are keeping themselves at a level that's within some kind of touching distance of the people who are around them because they don't want the discomfort of being dramatically more successful than anyone else in case it creates um, being criticized, in case it creates jealousy. Uh, And you see this a lot with um, lottery winners. Hmm. So it's very normal for a lottery winner to blow through all of the money and be back at the same place they were at like five to ten years later. Yeah, that's crazy. That's difficult to do. You've got got to try. But a large large percentage of lottery winners find themselves in that place. So what's going on here? It's because they want to be where they're comfortable and where their friends and family are comfortable. And this is where I think there's a lot of truth in the – you end up the average of the five people that you spend the most time with yeah. um, because I think people bring themselves to the mean. So if you start surrounding yourself by very successful people, you'll probably find you'll drag yourself up to that level to feel comfortable around them. And if you're in a situation where you don't know any successful people and you're the most successful person of all your friends and family, probably you'll find a way to get closer to them as well. Does that make sense? No, it it? makes a lot of sense. And that's obviously, I think, a quote most people are uh, familiar with. But I like that you're applying it to money. And I'm sure this can apply to anything people want to work on. But obviously, you know, the money stuff is interesting for most people. So I love it. And um, And yeah, well, let's take that same analogy and say your fitness. Mm -hmm. So the five people you go to the gym with. If you go to the gym with five overweight people, probably – 
You're not a game. <laughs> yeah. If you go to the gym with five bodybuilders for a year, what do you think they'll look like in a year? Exactly. And if, if all my friends are eating McDonald's every day and I want to have a salad, they're going to be like, what are you doing having a salad? And vice versa. If I'm having a salad every day with my friends and I'm bringing McDonald's around, they're going to be like, well, you're having McDonald's really? Like, so I could see how that works. And is that, so is that even a subconscious thing or is that just more conditioning? And, and it, I guess it kind of goes back to that, that tribal nature we have that we want to fit in with the people we're around. We don't want to be ostracized. So is that a subconscious well, it, thing or is that conditional or a I think, little both? I think, I, think, I think it's conditioning. I think the subconscious side of it is being brave enough to find those groups that are in the life that you want to live in. Mm. And how do we, yeah, so, so, so that, so that's, that's the tough part. That's the tough part is feeling that you're good enough, yeah. allowing yourself to expand your social network and moving outside of your comfort zone. Mm. Um, and that's the, that's where I see the, the battle. That's, that's my battle. It's not, it's not how someone behaves once they're in the right situation. Yeah. It's, are they even capable of bringing themselves to find that correct situation? Mm. Do they self-sabotage? Do they sabotage those relationships? Do they struggle in those situations? Are they nervous? Do they have feelings of self, around self-worth? And that's where I would say the subconscious part plays a very big part, you know, a big piece of this. Yeah, I could, I've seen myself as I'm, I'm always striving to do better and, and especially surround myself with just people who are like-minded and striving for things that are similar to me. And as I've tried to put myself in circles that I feel like will force me to grow, you know, um, I could see that maybe getting out of my comfort zone is, is, it sounds great. And I know that that's what people do to, to grow. And so I'll do it once. I'll do it three times, do it four times. But then it's that I could definitely feel that equilibrium just clawing at me, trying to be like, okay, you've, you've put in two days with these people. Now let's spend two days with, you know, with the old hometown people or, or whatever. Like this is just an example, but it's, it's getting out, you're getting out of your comfort zone is the first step, but then it's like, staying out of your comfort zone for me with everything I've done, fitness, diet, hanging out with new people. That's the hard part. And is that where the subconscious comes in? Is that where my, maybe that's, that's, my, my self-belief stuff is coming in? Like, Oh, you know, you've been here long enough. Now go, now go back to where you deserve. Is that kind of the case? Yeah. I mean, and when you were saying, you know, I don't know what I would need to be working on. Mm. So here's your answer. Hmm. So, so I would say, you know, if you if you're pulling yourself back to where you know you you shouldn't really be any longer, yeah, and you find that as a repeating pattern, that's the thing to really question, because are you putting the brakes on as it looks like you're going to break through? Are yeah. you just stopping yourself reaching that next level? Yeah, and that happens. <laughs> it sounds like the, the, what you're describing. It sounds like that's that's the putting that's that's the thing that's the subconscious program that needs adjusting so you have the self-confidence to say this is the new me now i am the healthy person i am the wealthy person i deserve to be around these people and i can still see my friends from the past Mm -hmm. but we don't have a lot in common and they're going to be a much smaller part of my life because we're on a different pathway now Mm. and my pathway should lead me to more and more successful places interesting people you know things like that rather than dragging you back to where you know there's a lot of people who they never leave their hometown and they play a lot of xbox and don't want to spend a lot of time with those people yeah i have a question for you so that is exactly what it is and you saying it just reminds it's like things that i know on on a level and i think a lot of people have that where they that whatever you want to call it, but on some level, you know, when you're doing what you're doing is either right or wrong, or at least in line with who you want to be. And so I can feel myself kind of ebbs and flowing. And luckily I'm, I'm still moving in the direction I want to be going, but 
where, how can we remind ourselves that like, like you said, you just said, um, no, this is the person I'm going to be, you know, yada, yada, like, I don't mean to say yada, 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 but you know what I mean? This is the person I'm going to be. This is the, this is the direction I want to step into. Um, how can we remind ourselves that on a daily basis? Like, is it continually doing that work of like checking in on the subconscious? Um, is it continually I mean, what, doing the journaling stuff? Um, yeah, go ahead. What I think is a really powerful one for this is have a look at who in your industry is the most successful, whatever it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. Write down all of the things that they're doing mm-hmm. and then look at the things that you know they're doing that you're not. Mm. And if you see there's a big discrepancy, so you know there are a lot of things that the people who are more successful than you are doing every day, start like being aware that every day you have to like you have to have this list of those things to go off otherwise you have absolutely no chance of overtaking them or catching them up yeah, yeah. and, and it, i think just bringing yourself back to that tool again and again and just each day saying you know what are the things that i need to be doing okay i need to be doing my exercise i need to be working on my business i need to be doing this in marketing i need to be putting myself out here to perhaps these podcasts whatever it might be and hold yourself accountable to those. And then at the end of the month, have a look at how well you've done versus who you're looking to aspire to to effectively overtake. Mm. Because you just don't want to reach their level. You want to do better than whoever's the best because mm. you should be looking to attain that high level of achievement as well. Mm. And I think if you get into that mindset, it becomes a lot easier to reach those high levels of success. Mm. And then in what cases are we vulnerable to the to maybe old patterns of believing or thinking or self-worth issues i've heard that um and this is something i've so once i get fatigued i can feel myself um reaching for things that maybe don't help me and that i know i don't want and and my willpower i've heard of this like the willpower fatigue or whatever it is that to a certain extent once you've made a certain amount of decisions once you've expended a certain amount of energy your willpower gets worse and then i've discussed this with people that i've tried to help like uh, you know, even accountability buddies and, and things that we're both trying to get better at. It's like, as we fatigue, as we get tired at the end of the day, it's really easy to want to almost, uh, intake in things that aren't for our highest good, whether that's, uh, eating way too much, whether it's diving to dessert or whatever it is for that individual person. Um, is that, is that something you have like any knowledge yeah, of? Yeah, definitely fatigue is a big issue. Mm-hmm. And another thing is very highly stressful moments. Mm. So if you take someone who's been a long-term smoker and they quit smoking and then tragic incident happens, their parents die or something along those, that, those lines, it's not rare to see that person go straight to a cigarette even though they haven't smoked in five years. Wow. So we see – or food if there's someone who used to have an issue with obesity. Or, but people go back to the comfort thing that they've used, the yeah. crutch yeah. Um, in high pre- after high-pressure situations. Um, so it's something to be aware of. What I like to point out with that, and sort of even in the examples that you were giving, is I don't see things like diets or even abstinence from things as necessarily you're going to be that way entirely for the rest of your life and breaking it is failing. Mm. I see it as you're looking to stick to your diet as long as you can. At some point in the future, there will be something that comes up that makes it likely that you'll break your diet. Mm-hmm. Your next challenge is to start again the next day and see how long you can last the next time around. Mm. And I see that being the difference between people who are successful and unsuccessful in be it weight loss or even in their businesses in training for a sport or you know whatever it might be 
is the difference between doing something for a set amount of time until there's the failure and then saying, oh, I'm failed, I'm going back to normal versus, oh, yeah, I slipped up today. How how long can I do it for next time? Mm. And that, that one change of instead of seeing it as a failure, seeing it as like that's your new high score um, has an enormous impact on the long-term success of that person with whatever it is they're looking to succeed in. Yeah, I could see that. It's like uh, once you revert back to a certain level, at least for me, I've been like, oh, well, you know, like – it, it's easy to let that ball keep rolling and to uh, allow it to snowball. But what you're saying is almost a more compassionate approach, like not beating yourself up for a slip up or two, uh, catching it earlier and just get back on the program. Exactly. They're going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. The reality is you're, you're going to have something happen. That means you, you have the cake you said you weren't going to eat or whatever, you know, over a year, over two years, these moments are going to happen. It's very important. You have the compassion to say, well, I had a great run. Uh What can I do next? Yeah. And if you can change it from, if you punish yourself, you're just going to want to eat more bad food because you feel bad. Yeah, exactly. Is there something that we could do to reduce the, uh, whatever it is or food or anything like any self-destructive thing we could be doing, maybe not self-destructive, but yeah, like, uh, the, the way we want to go back to our comfort crutch, whatever that is for people, is there a way to reduce the likelihood that that happens in the moments that we're fatigued and, and after high stress situations, or is that just something that we need to be aware of and, and just simply being aware of it is kind of taking the next steps? Um, well, being aware of it is, is a step in itself. Yeah. Um, there are things you can do. Obviously, the hypnotherapy work, you can look at removing those triggers, working out why someone's comfort eating, removing those sorts of issues. Um, there's also a good book called The Power of Habit, hmm. um, which if you follow the steps in there, it, creating new habits, putting new triggers in place. So that that can be a very powerful um, powerful way of taking control of these areas in your life and i would recommend to anyone who is struggling in this way buy that book i think it's charles duhigg is the author um the power of habit and just start working through those exercises because i've seen people have a decent amount of success doing that your your example with the chronic smoker like that for whatever reason that resonated with me i feel like i get um it's I'm not a smoker, but like a, I have this like almost addictive pull to certain things, even if just like shitty food. And and it's like after high stress situations, it's like I have nothing left, and I'll just reach for it. So that's something I'm really super interested in. I guess we could pivot. What is something that you see people dealing with? We, you've probably already touched on it before, but like what's something that you're continually helping people work through? Um, one of them is procrastination. So not so much a, a fear, yeah. but more just uh, not understanding why they're not doing the things they know they should be doing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So an awful lot of people have to-do lists that never get done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that impacts anyone, at, no matter the level of success, that, that can be an issue. So that's something that, that I work on quite a lot with people. Um, and how do we work through th- procrastination? I got something on my list. I'm building out a uh, a course and I I got it going and it, it's up, but I haven't touched base on it. I've wanted to touch base on it for weeks now and I just haven't. And and so why do people procrastinate? Okay. Um, I mean, take it the, the sort of the things that you were saying earlier about the holding yourself back and bringing yourself back down. Yeah. Um, the first thing you've got to look at is, is there a fear of success or fear of failure around it? Mm. There's two sides from, from the way you've described things. It could be that 
you if it's very successful it will take you out of your comfort zone and perhaps progress you in your life and that might be slightly uncomfortable in some way or it could be while it's in the being built process you're in a very comfortable spot Mm. because you've got this thing that's in the background it could be really successful Mm. um, and you can tell yourself would be successful when you bother to release it Mm. the problem with once you've finished it and release it you're going to find out if it's going to do well or not and that can hit the ego Mm. wow so by holding the work off you're actually keeping your ego really safe that's amazing that's perfect that literally is like that's hitting me on a visceral level that's for sure like has a lot of truth to it (laughs) yeah so that's why i see people not finish those projects yeah you're quick yeah that's fast uh, is that a similar one? The ego is kind of our our sense of self, not so much my boastfulness, but I'm sure. Yeah, your sense of self. So, and this this one, I mean, this one comes up so much with people, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's why. So it's not that it's I'm so quick because it's just it's because you're already you know it's because so many people have exactly this issue, Max. You know, mm. this is. Um, so the, the way that I've I've seen it in a lot of sort of when we're looking at the memories of this, you see really intelligent child at school not having to work hard to do well at exams Mm. right yeah exams start to get a little bit harder they don't want to study because if they don't study and they take the exam they can tell themselves i would have got the best grade or i would have got an a if i'd chosen to study but i chose not to Mm. so they're maintaining control even if they're getting c's Mm. however if they study and they get a b or a c that's going to really hit their ego Mm. So they're actually in a position of more power by not doing the work than doing the work from an emotional basis. And that's what I would say is it sounds like we're talking about here from your situation of you not finishing the course actually gives you more control because it's on your terms. Hmm. Whereas if you put it out there, then, yeah, then, then you really find out where it's at. Yeah. And as you said that, I'm already thinking like, what other things am I like, once it's built, what else is going to happen? And I'm already feeling like, oh, there's all these unvariables as to how I'm going to roll it out and how I'm going to work with affiliates and all these different things. And it's a lot of question marks. So it's a lot easier to just to be in this comfort zone of, oh, I'm building this awesome thing. Um, But it's a a much more comfortable place to be in, in the building stage uh, and tweaking rather than, you know, figuring it out afterwards and seeing, yeah, like you said, is this going to be successful? Risking the fear of failure or the, uh, risking the, the chance of failure rather. And then, and then all the other intangibles that I, I, I know are there that I almost don't want to look at yet. And this, this you'll also see just as a warning sign <laughs> for if you get to the next stage. Yeah. And that's when you see course makers and you see authors, that's another one, uh-huh. switch to perfectionism before they'll release it. Hmm. So they'll then, they'll get everything pretty much ready to go, and then they'll spend sometimes months, sometimes years trying to perfect something, which as we all know is impossible, again pushing back that release release date. Mm. So the procrastination goes from not doing the work to having done the work to try to then create these perfectionist rules where it sounds like a good thing to say, oh, I can't release it yet because I'm a perfectionist, it's not quite perfect, whereas in reality it's still just controlling the, the situation yeah that's a super valid like uh way to stay stuck is just to be like no i'm a perfectionist and people will people will nod their head and smile but really it's yeah. just it's just staying put wow um is there any other ones that stand out to you as the a major thing that you help people with because that that one was just so valuable is there anything else um i mean anger mm. and frustration mm-hmm. um if you're someone who says i'm just an angry person you're not 
you learn to be angry mm-hmm. and i i really believe that that's true yeah. um that so that's something where i would say anyone who's having anger issues i've seen dramatic changes in people and it completely changes the quality of life because no one really likes being around an angry person mm. um so if you're someone who tells yourself that i'm just an angry person i would challenge you and say you're not an angry person you learned that anger was a good tool as a child go and speak to a therapist and try and work through that because your quality of life will shift just dramatically if you do. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of the things, whether it's anger or uh, procrastination, it, it all is, the theme is kind of just retracing your steps and looking back at questioning everything. It sounds like everything that I consider maybe a roadblock or an issue or whatever it is, kind of putting it and using it as a mirror and be like, what is this? Why is this here? What, like, what, what do I believe deep down that has gotten me there? Exactly. And I mean, this is my whole thesis, effectively, of the way the mind works is we create the programs up until the age of about seven. They're really then set in stone with other events that happen up to sort of our teenage years. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things only really change in adulthood with sort of the therapy work or in the sort of the negative extreme, really traumatic events like PTSD Mm -hmm. that then create anxieties, but in in an even the sort of deeper and nastier way if you have something that manages to sort of penetrate the subconscious um through through your adult life but yeah i believe that we're creating these programs we're all coming here there's some level of natural personality but a lot of it is just learned behaviors we do what works and we keep repeating that even if it was you know it was working at age seven probably age 37 it's not the same thing that you should be doing but we see a lot of people eliciting the same behavior they've been using since that time i think that's a hard concept to comprehend is that like so much of our fears and our beliefs stem from before we were seven because if you tell me to tell tell you my life story from one to seven i'd be like i was a kid and i lived here and that's like all i have but it's crazy to me to to hear the message that you're putting out and you know it's this isn't like just your perspective, this is like very much backed evidence stuff that, you know, so much of who we are is based on that time period. It's just crazy to me that it's not more widely, uh, I don't know, like worked on the fact that so, like, let's work on these things that you might not even know is going on under the surface. And, and I think it's growing and I think people are getting more aware of us, awareness of it. Um, you know, the, the sort of the eight, up to age seven, that's relatively accepted. Mm-hmm. That that's where these programs are built. Um, the mind is in a theta state at that age. It's up to that age. You are effectively in a hypnosis state. Mm. So you're just accepting what's coming in. You're at a more subconscious level. You're just absorbing. Yeah. Exactly. So if you have a lot of shouting and aggression at home, it's not rare for you to then either become very shouting, very loud and aggressive, or to go the other way and just sort of cower away. Mm because you've learned that that's the best way of dealing with your parents you know all of those sorts of things like this is where your thoughts around money thoughts around success who you are in the world all of it seems to the building blocks are in that part of your life and yeah everything else past there we're sort of rerunning these auto programs um and again if you think you know if we take it from an evolutionary perspective probably makes an awful lot of sense that this is the case Mm. because we were just going out and we were catching things and eating them yeah you know that was that was sort of the extent of what what our mind was evolved to do 
outside of the last 2000 years, 3000 years. It's super interesting to like take the, the natural human mind and understand how it works and then begin to use it in your favor. So, um, what kind of like, how fast have you seen people evolve, uh, using this kind of stuff? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I've seen these sorts of changes happening in other people's lives as quickly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it takes a few sessions, but normally within the first few sessions of hypnotherapy, there are pretty significant changes where, you know, I'll have messages from people being like, everything started to change. Mm-hmm. You know, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. That's, it's not abnormal for me to hear within a few weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, and then it comes down to, I've had significant growth like that too and it's still this comes i keep hitting on this but it's such a big thing for me personally and i see it with like a lot of people is you get that massive improvement and the way my my brain likes to think about it it's almost like when you're in a dream and you get so excited you're in the dream you're like oh my god i'm flying i'm flying and then you wake up and uh and you're back to reality and then so i've had that similar feeling when like things are just going so well and I'm like, oh my God, all the mental things I'm doing is working. I've been journaling. I've been meditating. I've been visualizing. And then like things just start coming into place and it almost feels like so exciting. And then something, uh, you know, I keep saying something, but it's like myself, my subconscious beliefs kind of just like are telling me, okay, time to wake up. And it's like one thing happens and then the subconscious is like, see, it's all going to go down the hill. And then, you know, I almost slowly gravitate back so it's this it's been this battle not battle but it's been this journey of understanding to you know catch those things early and not allow them to snowball kind of like you said before and and that's what i would say you know really look out for um you know am i going am i allowing myself to to get more comfortable again so when you're in that flow state, which is effectively what you're describing, of yeah. everything's going well, yeah, you're working efficiently, you don't have – so you're in that flow state, it's very difficult to not become very successful if you stay in that state. <laughs> yeah. Like it really is. You know, every – it's yeah. – um, yeah. and – and, and you're I'm, pulling, I've been feeling it more and more, and I just I'm like I want to stay here. I want to stay here. And then you're finding excuses to leave it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you do leave it, if something does happen and it does pull you away from that, then again, we want you to um, we want you to say, okay, well, I'm jumping straight back into it. I had a bad day. Mm. Get back to the meditation, back to the visualization, back to the diet, back to the exercise. So all the things that took you to where you wanted to be. Mm. Don't give yourself a break. Jump straight back into that again. Or if it's a break, make it a planned break. Say, okay, well, I'm going to take a vacation from it for a week. But on Monday the 5th of whenever, I'm starting again. And everything's planned out and I'm ready and I'm prepared for it. Um, you know, they're the, they're the sort of things where, you know, that's not deep therapy work. But if you're aware of these things, it can make a dramatic difference to your chances of being successful. Yeah. And I really like that you use the word flow state because that makes even my subconscious, like I keep saying that my body can feel it, which I, I listen to that. So when someone says something and my body feels it, I know it like triggered a certain part of me. Um, and when you said when you're living in this flow state, that sounds so much more appealing to me. And that's feels like really what it is when I'm quote unquote, reaching, extending my comfort zone. It doesn't feel like I'm compl- so the corny phrase, I call it corny that like stay out of your comfort zone, stay out of your comfort zone. I think that phrase alone almost to me tells me that like I will be unhappy and I'll be like nervous all the time, but that's what it takes to be successful. And I think that's not the case. It really is more of a flow where it feels like I'm just being stretched, um, but it's within my means. It's not too easy. It's not too hard. 
Um, and I think that sense of like, stay out of your comfort zone, stay out of your comfort zone, even just for me, as we're talking about this, I could reframe it. And I think people can reframe it to being like, no, you're just in a flow state. You know, you're kind of just flowing and you're, you're reaching your peak ability, but you're not necessarily completely just like shaking uncomfortable. You know, there's a difference between, uh, reverting back to just easy, easy comfort that makes me stagnant and makes people stagnant. And then, uh, you know, being in that flow state, it doesn't necessarily need to be peak peak uncomfort if that makes sense that yeah, yeah yeah it should be it should be still it should be still fun and enjoyable um there's a book um called the four sacred secrets it's, it's a meditation book mm. which I, I think is very good and um they down. they describe it they describe it as either the beautiful state or a state of suffering saying that everyone's always in one of those two whoa i love that and and i really like that as a definition as well and i I use the language of flow state, but I, I think it works very well as the beautiful state as well. I think, and if you're aiming to be in the beautiful state of comfortable, not feeling anxiety, pushing yourself in the way that you should be pushed, allowing things to come for you, not scared about the future, whether it be success or failure, but living in the moment, I think that brings a lot of success to people. Yeah, I totally agree. Ali, this has been amazing. I've, I'm trying not to make it too selfish, but I'm just like so fascinated and I'm really hoping that people, <laughs> people as they listen, uh, you know, this can be applied to everything. So my examples might not be your examples, but please, they're, Elliot's made it clear that these can be used for so many things. Um, so I, I, I want to do some hypnotherapy sessions for sure. What are you, you mentioned journaling. What are some other things that if we don't have access or resources right now, what are some things that we could kind of be doing to, to, to begin to work on these, uh, you know, these holding patterns we have? Um, so, I mean, I would, I would start meditation practice if mm -hmm. you haven't got one already. Mm -hmm. um, I have an app, Primed Mind, which you can download for free. Um, there's paid options as well. Cool. But there's loads of free content in that. Start working with that. See how you get on with that suggestion hypnotherapy. It's a little bit different to what we've been discussing here, but it can still take you along that path. Um, there are also some interesting books on these. Like, like I said, I've, I've really enjoyed personally uh, The Four Sacred Secrets as a meditation book. Um, Eckhart Tolle the power of now is mm. a good one for when you're starting to work on yourself um even the sort of if you're really looking for success um as part of this so less so the sports side and more the business side the old book think and grow rich is actually really really good mm. um that's like one of those classics i've, I've everybody the, notes but i've never read it <laughs> oh man like just read that book yeah. uh, it, it, there's so much gold in that book and i think it was written in like the 30s yeah and it, it just it will just click it's like so much of it's like oh this makes sense why some people have this success and other people don't and you know, there's just a lot of a lot of different books like that. So I say read around the subject. But if any of this has really resonated with you, if you're having those emotional feelings, if you're thinking about anger or being stuck or self-sabotage, um, find a therapist in your local area to start working through these issues. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to become far more normal for people to, to be working with professionals to overcome these things. Yeah. But the value of overcoming a subconscious block that's stopping you reaching your full potential over a lifetime is just enormous. So, you know, I, I would say find someone close to where you live or find someone who you like, you know, who you can work with over the internet and um, make that investment so that you can unlock these things because it truly is life changing if you start doing the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. Hmm. 
I love that. And I really hope that it becomes more normalized too. I think it's hopefully going to, I think it's getting there. I hope it gets to a state where people don't just reach out and seek people to talk to um, when they're at their darkest and lowest. Like, I think that's accepted. Like, oh, I'm depressed or I'm super anxious. I'll go talk to someone. But maybe if you're just not to where you want to be, maybe it can become more normal. Maybe we can remove that stigma that like, no, you're not sick. You just want to become better. And that's super admirable. So um, that's something I've I look into and I, I try to apply myself. So I love that you hit in on that, um, Elliot. This has been amazing. Before I ask people where they can or ask you where people can find you, my favorite last question is like, given all the the amazing thing things that have come your way professionally and personally, you work with some of the top performers. You know, you built a business. You got your A game podcast where you talk to some amazing people. I loved the podcast, by the way. It's, it's amazing. Oh, thank you. It's, it's awesome. You bring on some amazing guests. So you do a great job there. You have the app. Um, assuming you would change nothing and assuming that everything has led to where you are now, which is a great spot, what is a piece of advice you would give uh, to your 24-year-old self? A piece of advice, a piece of encouragement, whatever you got. Um, it's, it's very financially driven, um, but it is the most, it is the most important advice I I was ever given Mm. and that's stop selling your time instead sell to the value that you offer. Mm. And that advice completely changed my business, the amount of free time that I have, the clients that I can reach, look at the value you're offering to the world and, and sell your product that way instead of saying, I'm X per hour and Mm. the whole world opens up business wise for you. It's a really, again, you know, not the most, uh, (laughs) perhaps, you know, the sort of advice you would always hear people giving, but I think, I think genuinely it's just so important for anyone working for themselves to understand that's an incredibly important step and distinction to make. Mm. Dude, I, I don't care if, if people don't take anything from that because I take something from that. I work for myself, so I need to hear that. Um, I'm I'm always trying to figure out best ways to, to price myself, so I appreciate that advice. Elliot, you've been amazing. I've, I've taken so much away from this. Where can people find you? I think uh, there's going to be a lot of people interested to learn more, so where do you want people to find you? Okay, um, the best is um, elliotrow.com. That's just my, my normal website. Cool. I've got a podcast on you know, all the normal podcast places, like you say, the A Game Advantage podcast. And then my app, which is on I, uh, Apple and um, Google Play, yeah. is called Primed Mind. And as I said, you can download it for free, um, try a load of it, and then you can get access to more of the audios and things if, if you want to pay for that. But you can, like, you can try it for free. So try it for free. <laughs> I love it, Elliot. Thanks again so much for your time. This has been awesome. Yep. Yeah, thanks, man. Thank you for listening to the first official episode of Looking Up with Max McCoy. I'm excited about where this podcast is going to go. If you haven't already, it would mean a lot to me if you left a review on Apple iTunes or if you shared an insight that you learned from this podcast on Instagram and tagged me. That way I can say what up. If you're interested in starting a podcast of your own, I actually have a podcast course out. It's been really cool to see and support people like you guys starting a podcast of your own. I never thought I'd be doing something like this, but I got so many questions about how do I start my own podcast? So I decided to put together a course. Check it out in the show notes if you're interested. Hit me up on Instagram if you have questions. Also, Elliot notioned to his app, um, which is really awesome. I downloaded it myself. I I think you guys should check it out if you're interested in meditation or just having a virtual mindset coach in your pocket. Check it out. I'll uh, link to that in the show notes as well. Huge, huge thank you to you guys for 
listening to the podcast. There's a lot of podcasts you could be listening to. So the fact that you listen to this means a lot. Uh, And I'm going to shut up. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.